Get ready, because Scott's is taking over Daylight Saving Time. It's such a big event that we're calling it Day-Long Saving Time. And now it's got real savings. In fact, it's the biggest deals of the year. Audacious? Absolutely. So don't wait. Stock up early and you'll be able to save up to $20 on Scott's Triple Action and Easy Seed products today at the Home Depot and Lowe's. Offers available March 9th through 22nd at select U.S. stores. While supplies last, selection varies by location. See store for exact offers. Yeah, better than this, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this shit. What's better than this? Guys, being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network. We are your hosts here on this Monday edition of the show. Week 10, the college football season is behind us. Week 9, and the NFL season is behind us. No. Kyle, we, uh, we finally have a mutual. We have a mutual victory Monday, sir. I have a victory Monday. I mean, let's let's not blame the Bills here. They take care of this six mu- times. A mutual. mutual. Right. Forget mutual. I have one. I got Welcome. one. Welcome. I woke up this morning a winner. You always wake up a winner, Kyle. No, that's not true. But you know what? The win feels like a loss. Because everybody on my timeline, I follow a lot of Dolphins fans, is talking about how the Dolphins have royally screwed themselves and they've wasted their rebuild year. Because they want a football game. Well, because I, the beat the beat reporters have been telling them for 10 months, you have to go 0-16 to guarantee you get to a Tunga Viola. And if you do anything less than that, it's a complete failure and the team's never going to succeed. Still, still half a season to sort this thing out. Yeah, I mean, Miami currently sits fourth at 1-7. and seven. Mm-hmm. Washington's only in front of them because they're one and eight. They've played an extra game. So they'll fall behind Miami when the bye hits. And then the two teams ahead of them are the Jets and the Bengals, who both play the Dolphins still and still have to play each other. Yeah, some teams are going to get two, three wins. Well, honestly, the Dolphins are going to be one of those teams. Sure. And and I guess here's here's where it gets tricky. Um, If you look at this lump of teams that we're talking in contention for the number one pick Bengals, Redskins, Jets, Dolphins, Falcons, two of them need quarterbacks and two and three of them wouldn't probably take one. And if everything holds serve, the Bengals can get their guy and the Dolphins can get their guy and everyone can move on and they can, everyone else can get his pass rusher and offense tackle or a receiver. What makes it interesting to me is if somebody's willing to trade back, you know, is somebody going to trade away from a chase young, someone going to trade away from, a premier tackle or a weapon like Jerry Judy. And I know nobody will give you more than the Dolphins will, and the Dolphins will take you further or less further down the board than any other team, whether it's Tampa or Denver or or Tennessee. Like that's the Dolphins are fine. Right. I think ideally you wouldn't want to have to part with stuff, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the piece of that, but um, it's going to be fascinating and it's going to play itself out. And it's, I'll tell you, as somebody who's just an observer of the situation, seeing you as the, one of the ringleaders of this conversation in Miami Dolphins uh, 
discussion is just just a weird spot for me to to, to see you in, man. Um, I'm dealing. Somebody has somebody has to be the voice of reason here. <laughs> there are people. There are Dolphins fans who are angry that Brian Flores took a team filled with a bunch of guys that everybody on ESPN's get up and the pregame shows have told us don't belong in the NFL and it's an endangerment to their well-being to be out on a field and Flores just coaching them to beat the Jets by two scores. Right. And people are angry about it. There's nothing to be mad about. It doesn't make any it, sense. It's always been the case that the coaches and players are trying to win games. It's always well, the case. <laughs> somebody better tell Mike Greenberg that. And Stephen Ross looked pretty happy about that win too. When I watched that video of the, yes, the, he the did. locker room. So um yeah, I get it. All things can be true when discussing the Miami Dolphins and what they're trying to accomplish. And um got a lot of football left to to sort out who's gonna have the number one pick and the number two pick. But guess what? All what those but real quick, all those teams are trying to win. All the Bengals, all, all those teams are trying to win games. What else? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Bill, Bill, Bill Callahan's trying to earn the right to shed the interim label, right? He's only going to get that by winning games. Well, what's good for Bill Callahan in that possibility is that if the job's not very attractive, right? Like people aren't, he yeah, might you, get yeah, with it anyway. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> this is we'll keep Bill for another right, year. That's fine, right? Really, I mean that that's that's a possibility. Uh, we've we've seen that happen before with with other situations where this is kind of the guy you can get and you see what happens. Uh, man, we have a lot. I mean, Willie Taggart got fired at Florida state. Adios. <laughs> Bad coaches get fired. What can I tell you? Um, <laughs> year and a half, $17 million to go home. I, I, I mean, look, you, yeah, you got man, the they... money, right? For $17 million is a lot of money. I don't care who you are, but like Florida state's going to be just fine. Right. And the worst thing you can do is hold on to a problem. I was telling people last year, Willie Taggart was a crap coach. It it wasn't hard to watch that team play. It wasn't hard to watch, listen to him talk. It wasn't hard to be around him and realize that this is not a guy that's going to get it done at Florida state. Now, I don't know where, where, where things go from here. I don't know what the shiny candidates are for replacing, you know, him and Florida state's a premier job and they're going to want to get a big name. But I, I give, I give them criticism for making a bad hire I give them credit for not holding on to it. Right, because that was the question, right? Is, well, we just gave Willie this huge contract, and is is Florida State going to be willing to bite the bullet and, and eat the money to get him to go away? And they finally reached that point, and uh, they were pretty punchless against Miami. So I think I think it was the only decision that could be made for them on the heels the, of Saturday. The Miami Hurricanes ran the ball, or excuse me, the Florida State Seminoles ran the ball 41 times for 31 yards in that game. What? what? I mean, but you've seen Willie's run it's scheme. Great. It's the dumbest thing you've ever freaking seen. <laughs> it's of course, it's I mean, yes. What is he what did he call it like the the some he had some name for it, like the panhandle offense or something. I don't know. Some bad the Gulf Coast, some I don't know what it was, but it's bad. And uh, have you begun to think about names for the the gig? I saw like Mark Rick's name was tossed around me. Like, why would why would that be a possibility? Oh, what a what a disaster! I mean, that would if be. he was 
wouldn't he have tried to make that work at Miami if he had an interest in continuing as a college head coach? Correct. Yeah, don't don't throw money at Mark Richt and hope for the best. Who's the um, guys? I mean, every, Venable should be at the top of everyone's list. Um, but he's just never going to want to leave. I I would not leave Clemson to go to, to Florida job. State. I'm looking. I got an article here. Here's names that are people are dropping. No. Kevin Sumlin. Why? Uh, Justin no. Wilcox. I like Justin Wilcox a good bit. I'm not sure that. Yeah, it's better. Uh, Mario Cristobal. Oh, okay. Uh, Jim McElwain. No. Please, God, do that. No. This is an article on NBC Sports, <laughs> by the way. Uh, this is a real. And the last one. This is a real article. Right, here's huh? the, this is a real article. Here's a reasonable one. Brian Harsin. Voice hates Forzy State's coach. Oh, uh, well. This is not the, that's the that's the the five intriguing options NBC Sports wrote about. Oh my god! Uh, to man. replace Willie Taggart, Yahoo's got a list too. Um, oh, throw some money at Mike yeah, Leach. Uh, Yahoo get, much get more spicy. James there. Franklin, Mario Cristobal again, Matt Rule, uh, PJ Fleck, Matt Campbell, Mike Norvell, my, Mark Stoops, Scott Satterfield. Why would he do leave Louisville after that? Brian Harson, Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle's interesting to me. And Tony uh Brent Venables. Okay, so there's there's the names. I guess these these are names we're gonna continue to hear all, all year, I'm sure, for vacancies. We could have USC, Notre Dame, and Florida State all available this offseason. Do we think Urban takes USC? People say Notre Dame's the, the, the gig he wants. I think he's somewhere. Notre Dame. But Notre Dame. You think uh Brian Kelly's getting fired? I don't know that he should. I think he's been the most successful coach that's do, been there for a long do time. You think he gets fired? He's such an asshole, though, right? Like, well, he's he's, he, he's Gacy a little bit, right, <laughs> for, for the college side, but he gets away with it because it's college. Maybe I don't know, man. I, he's if so Notre Dame fires Brian Kelly, that's the guy Florida State should hire. Florida State should hire Brian Kelly. If Notre Dame's going to fire. Brian Kelly yes. to hire Urban Meyer. Florida State should hire Brian Kelly. Good take. Good take. I like that take. All right. Um, so Justin Herbert had a game, huh? He did. He did. Brother, he looked terrible in the first quarter. He did. I think he was 2 of 7 for like 18 yards at a pick. And then he went 18 and 19 the rest of the way. Uh, we know Clay Helton's going to be out of a job at the end of the year. <laughs> that That is officially official after the way – they fell apart. Ima- imagine scoring a touchdown in the final 30 seconds of the first half to pull within 21-17. And then your team gives up a kick return with less than 30 seconds left in the half to go into halftime down 11, which is exactly what USC did with Oregon. Um, I feel like a fool taking USC to cover four and a half, Joe. I got you on both of them this week, huh? You did. Well, that's the moral of the story is if if we're ever different on games, I'm never going against my gut ever again. Because (laughs) I I think I'm literally like five and 15 on games we've been different this year. I don't know. I mean, let's they're all 50-50 bets, man. No, they're not. They're 67 to 33 when we differ. It's incredible. 
I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know what to say. It's. I don't have any secret sauce or anything. Um, well, apparently you do. But I where? Uh, let me let me ask yeah. you this because I, I, the reason I came into that game was not to string myself up by the the gutter here and let me suffer. I wanted to talk about Justin Herbert a little bit, and I, I'm curious with, with what you've seen. We did November big board updates this mm-hmm. weekend. Yours and mine came out on Saturday. And um, Herbert, for me, has really struggled to move the needle. And I, I, I'm kind of of the state of mind that he's stagnant as a player. You look at the stats, and the stats will tell you something otherwise. But I'm curious what your reaction is to me saying that regarding Justin Herbert and, and where he's at as a player and a prospect and – He's in the low twenties for yeah. me. I know he's a little bit higher up for you, I believe, but I, I'm getting real apprehensive here because I'm seeing the same issues that have always existed, and it's issues that quarterbacks who have these issues typically go to the pros with and don't get rid of, which is the uncomfortability holding the ball within the pocket, some of the accuracy and decision making under duress really gets compromised. So like, where, where are you at with him? I think he's almost a victim of just having so much tape out there for us to really know who he is and us to really be able to dwell on issues and stuff. That's just not getting better with time. And, you know, the, the biggest issue coming out of last year and into this year was, you know, can he come off that first read? Can he show comfort under chaos? Can he be a good, consistently good decision maker? And, you know, when things break down around him, how does he how does he survive? And I think people can watch enough NFL football right now and see guys like Russ Wilson and Pat Mahomes and uh, Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson and these guys uh, that really are so comfortable under chaos. And when things break down around them, for them to to be able to just naturally find outlets and and just the game kind of slows down to that for them in those moments. And I think Justin Herbert's just nowhere near that level. And and I'm not saying every quarterback's going to be. But I think you should have some reasonable belief that outside of structure and when things break down and when things aren't always on schedule like you want them to be, that you can come through and make something happen. And I don't get that level of comfort at all from Justin Herbert, and it compounds every week that I watch him, and I can continue to see that be an issue. And so I think, you know, he's he's got he, he's a victim of having too much tape, and um, uh, concerns are stuff that are not necessarily true in the upper echelon quarterbacks that we watch in the NFL today. So I think he's got a lot of things working against him. I think he's clearly outside of that. It's, you know, it was a Tua Herbert discussion entering the year. It's a Tua Burrow discussion now. And Herbert is going to need someone to love him, uh, you know, to really believe in him. Otherwise we got a Drew Locke situation on our hands. What do you have for me next, Joe? No, that was okay. my right. my topic. I got you on the box, but <laughs> All it's right. your turn to bring something to All the right. table. You, you were done with you're done with the Herbert discussion. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted your opinion on. Well, I, I maybe I gave you more than you bargained for there. I, I think we I think we got to talk about the Baltimore Ravens getting the six and two, beating the, the New England Patriots thirty seven to twenty. Um, the dynamics of the offense was. I think we talked about this on Friday. Just the dynamics of Baltimore's offense don't really play well in terms of the Patriots and some of their lack of speed and where they're really suited to be able to handle teams. And 41 rushes, 210 yards, three touchdowns as a team. I mean, Mark Ingram's running all over this team. Uh, Lamar ran the ball well. He threw the ball really well when he needed to in certain situations. And 
you know, even Baltimore's defense, I thought did a really good job uh, with managing the game against Brady. And and so uh, Baltimore's just such a, a challenging team because of how they challenge you with what they have offensively. And, um, you know, I think you need a certain set of skills to be able to stop them defensively. And if you don't have them, I don't, I'm not sure you can scheme it up because it just becomes an athletic issue. Well, I thought thought the athleticism was most clear watching Donta Hightower try and chase Lamar Jackson down. I think I said that on Friday, Lamar. right? I was like, you think Deonta Hightower's ever going to get an option, uh, an angle on these guys? All right. And that, that was, you know, I felt one of the keys to the game was, was Baltimore stressing the corners for New England and, and tasking the corners to either get put in a bind where they have to decide to sink off and, and take coverage or step up and make tackles. And Baltimore just ran a bunch of condensed sets and, and you know, didn't put the, the corner on the boundary to have a presence there or they just ran them right off the, the boundary. So a really nice job from Baltimore based on formations and, and concepts to to generate soft edges for themselves and trusting Lamar to do the play where he took the snap and he hit the top of his drop and he flushed forward and he took like one jab step outside to the left. And who was it? It was Boyle. It might have been Jamie Collins. Oh, okay. He like snatched his soul like Collins disengaged from the blocker Ronnie Stanley because Lamar fake like he was going outside and then cut back up inside and that 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 run ended up like getting taken inside the, the five or something like that was just you it you shouldn't be able to do that and that was what it, what I said last night when I was watching the game is like it doesn't matter what Lamar's athletic testing would have been because it would have been like 99th percentile across the board, but I would love to know. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to yeah. know like what Lamar's short area agilities are and what his 40 time actually is like the stuff that he opted to do not to do because there was so much bullshit about him not being a quarterback through the draft process. And he didn't want to feed that fire by going out and running like four, three flat or whatever he's, he probably would have run. I would just love to know what those numbers are because he is, a freak of all freak athletes and he's bulked up Yeah, oh, for sure from his days yeah. at Louisville. And he still looks yeah. like clear in a way, the most explosive athlete on the field. It's yeah, incredible. That's a good point. He really has overhauled his body a bit. I want to ask your question, uh, you a question here about this Ravens offense. Cause I know you've seen it several times this year and specifically the tight yes. ends, you know, they've, they completed nine of their 17 passes last year, last night against two tight ends. And, you know, I don't, I don't think we see many offenses across the league having this much production from their tight ends. I mean, how, how do you, mm -hmm. how important do you think it is for Lamar to have these? It's, it's very specific and deliberate how they built this offense, but like, is there a lesson to be learned here for what other teams can do to get them more involved and really help their own offenses for their, for their tight ends yeah. in the past game? No, no, Again, I, I really think the appeal for Baltimore and the tight ends is is how how many different things they can now do out of the same look, if that makes sense. So going to tight end looks, you know, you can put one of these guys flexed out in the slot. You can put Nick Boyle 
kind of an H back roll in the backfield or line them up. And then you can motion these guys before the snap. But from a personnel perspective, a defensive coordinator is going to look and say, okay, well, they got two tight ends. So let's go a little bit more heavy and uh, they can run downhill at you. But then with the speed they have in the backfield, they can run perimeter stuff. Um, They can manufacture favorable angles in the run game because they're going heavy formations, but these guys are athletic. So then they get out in the, the, the second level and they can beat linebackers and man man coverage. And it's a lot of scheme stuff. And I, I really feel like Baltimore deserves a, a ton of credit for kind of crowdsourcing spread offenses across the college level this past off season to try and build something. Joe, I put it in slack last night. They said it on the broadcast last night. Um, Jim, John Harbaugh and company, before they drafted Lamar Jackson, they were kind of looking at their situation. They said, you know, we really need to stop. This is an indirect quote from Harbaugh regarding the decision to draft Lamar Jackson. He said, we really need to stop chasing the picturesque, like picture perfect Bill Walsh quarterback. Let's do it differently. Let's, let's see what's available to us and let's, let's build an offense differently. And what they have done is to this point, the closest you've seen a college offense, but it's working because they have these versatile tight ends that give them so much flexibility. And it's working because they have the perfect guy at the helm of the offense in Lamar Jackson, who is quite honestly making a lot of people eat crow. I had him 29th on my board. And I said last night, I was too low at 29. Granted, how many other offenses would he go to? And they try and make him something that he's not. And Lamar isn't Lamar. But everybody was the consensus last night. This is the perfect offense. And Baltimore deserves a ton of credit for crafting. So to answer your question regarding the tight ends, I think the tight ends are a big piece of the formula. But I think it's more philosophical from a how we want to run our running game, how we want to get involved in the passing game. Lamar liked hitting tight ends when he was at Louisville, uh, that middle of the field kind of presence for him. So I think all of those variables all yeah, I think I remember some of the discussions you and I had about Lamar Jackson going into the NFL. And I, I remember one of the things we kind of agreed on is that if Lamar Jackson can't engineer a difficult to defend offense in the NFL, then you're just a bad coach. Right. And, and I, I give, Harbaugh and his staff a lot of credit for crafting that offense around him but I think you make a good point it it was really important for him to go somewhere that was going to allow him to do the things you see him doing right now and not try to make him uh you know you think about what Rick Dennison did with with Tyrod Taylor and tried to make him a west coast passer for the Bills and it was just a disaster you see this all the time and Lamar went to a great situation. He's obviously supremely gifted. They've crafted some things really nicely around him, but still have some work to do there. And um, it's, it's, this is going to be fascinating to see how the league adjusts. You know, I think you, you look, you look at the league, it's week to week. It's also kind of year to year. And, and right now we have two very unique offenses and in, in what Kyle Shanahan's doing with the 49ers. And granted that one's been around for a while. So there's, there's plenty of evidence and, and tape for you to study that and figure out how to stop it. But also this, this Ravens offense. And I'm really curious to see what trends we start to see in terms of more teams wanting to replicate that, but also defensively what the adjustments are to, uh, to slow down something that's difficult to defend and challenges NFL defenses in ways they've never seen before. 
Let me ask, let me ask you a question. It's my turn for a question. Who's the most dynamic quarterback in the NFL right now? Dynamic, huh? Yeah. Man, how are we defining dynamic? You can define it however you want. I I gave my opinion yesterday, and people took a lot of offense to it, despite me saying no offense to anyone else. So I'm just curious what your man. I think Russ response to that would be. I think it's Russ Wilson. I I just I think I have supreme confidence in every situation for him to execute the way I would want him to, and he's clutch. He's can create. He's you know, his improv skills, his escape wizardry is amazing. He hits throws to all levels. He's got the it factor, I mean, and he's accomplished. And, I mean, I think there's plenty of names you can bring to this discussion. For me, it's Russ. If I if I use the word spectacular, would it change at all? I, I mean, I know you're going to this Deshaun Watson place with this. And I, I think he's in the top three. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm yeah. not trying to milk Deshaun out of you too. I just don't want to misquote myself. Yeah. I actually use the word yeah, spectacular. I mean, he's he's a guy that you get the same vibes from, you know, in, in terms of it's never over, make crazy things happen, uh control under chaos, those types of things, and the athleticism to really accentuate that. Um, I guess I I gravitate towards the consistency over a longer period of time from Russ, but man, I'm not gonna throw rocks at anyone who says Deshaun Watson or Pat Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or whoever sure, like that. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think those, those four guys. And then even if I was just basing it off of 2019, sure. Lamar Jackson's top five. That I think that's your top five most spectacular quarterbacks that anything can happen when you watch him play would be Deshaun, Russ, Mahomes, Lamar and Aaron Rodgers in no particular order. Am I, am I, am I egregiously leaving anybody off that list for most spectacular quarterback in 2019? I think that's the guys right there. What do all those guys have in common? Athleticism, ability to extend plays, control under chaos, poise, kind of a natural feel for playmaking. So if you want to look for successful quarterbacks in 2020 and beyond, start there. Because that's not a mistake. It's not a coincidence. You got to find that blend. You got to walk that line, right? And I'm, I'm sitting here watching Lamar, or I'm sitting here watching Deshaun play Houston, and it's like watching a, a painter where every play there's just something and it, it it's very artistic the way that he plays, but stylistically it's different than, than other guys play. And there's no clear cut defined you know, right and wrong way to do things. When you have that innate feel for the game that these kinds of guys have, they put their own unique spin on the game. So to just to kind of bring a scouting point into our discussion today, Joe, it was something that was pretty prevalent to me is you know, that that's what you need to be looking for, for guys at the next level at this point based on the way the league's trending, the way the rules are, how there's more carryover for spread offenses than what there used to be in the NFL. Those are the premier qualities because that's what all the great ones have right now. So let's take you know, draft eligible guys this year, 
young quarterbacks in the NFL mm-hmm. that aren't one that we just named. Who who has that type of stuff that you feel like can get into this well, conversation? Justin Herbert doesn't. Correct. I guess I'll give you names. Let me. Th- I have names in mind. Let me throw okay. them at you. You yeah, can say yeah, yes yeah. or no. Okay, uh, Kyler Murray. Yes. Uh, Joe Burrow. Yes. More on the Rogers side, yeah. but not the arm, yeah, right? He's he's not super dynamic in any space, but I think, and we'll we'll talk about this a lot this week, Joe, with with LSU yep. Bama coming up and and us being there. That was our announcement this weekend. Is we'll be in Tuscaloosa for the game for a live show that'll be streamed online, and we're super excited about that. But Joe Brady's passing offense, I think, the comfort with Burrow is he gets everything. He does all his accounting before the snap so that everything for him is so easy and he knows where guys are supposed to be. So when he's forced off his spot, it doesn't look as pretty as some of the other guys, but he, again, kind of has that innate feel and he's kind of got that subtlety to his game within the pocket like Rodgers does. It's not a comp. It's not That was not a comp. <laughs> all right, I got more names I want to throw yeah. at you for this conversation. Yeah. All right, so we said Burrow, we went Kyler. Next name for you is Garner Minshew. He's got all the right stuff. Um, I think he can be a starting quarterback at the NFL level. He's the most difficult one, though, because the the arm talent there for me is something that leaves me questions from time to time. He is. I th- I, I want to see him win more with structure. To be honest with you, like he he wants everything to be awesome. Yeah, he he invited chaos so much <laughs> yesterday against Houston, where it's like, dude, just yeah. hang tight. I mean, he he. It was his easily, I think, his worst game in the pros thus far. And it was a team that had the book on him, had a, had a chance to play him for the second time. I think that's very telling. Tua. Absolutely. Correct. Um, let me see. I had a couple more names. Jalen Hurts. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. yeah. The question is, does he have the stuff? Yes. Yeah. Yep. I, I agree with that. Um, all right. One more for you. Josh Allen. I struggle with this one. I guess so. I guess he does. You know, and it's it's one of those where I'd like for it to look easier for him sometimes. Sure. You know, it's it's like all the great ones, they make everything look pretty easy. Josh looks at times like he's fighting and battling himself. But if you need to go 80 yards, you have to account for him as a runner and you have to account for him as a thrower. And because he does so well outside of structure when he's not playing the Patriots, right? And throwing balls up into triple coverage down the field, right? Like, because you had said that yourself, that was an area where he was very different for a lot of the season and, and playing more consistency consistently in that regard. And then they get to some of the heavy hitters on their schedule and he's trying to do too much. So right. I think he has all of the, the qualities, but I don't think from a between the ears perspective, he's where I'd like him to be yet. If that's fair. Daniel Jones. No. Dwayne Haskins. No. Sam Darnold. Sometimes. 
Man, I like Sam Darnold. I do. You, you see his you see his interception at, I did. at halftime? I saw Joe, it. Joe, what are we and... doing? What are we doing? I'll tell you this. I think I think there's a really good player within Sam Darnold. I hate his offensive line. I hate his weapons, and I hate his coach. I, I think he's. I think he can be a good player. I do. I Are think he'd be not, a top twenty, top fifteen quarterback in the league. Oh, top twenty! Come on, he could be top fifteen quarterback. He's he has the athleticism and arm to be a top half of the league starting quarterback. But Joe. Are we not scared at this point for Sam? That he's that, ruined? They broke him? I mean, if you think about what... You read the article I wrote about the Jets, right? Yeah. I wrote an and I hammered the Jets in this article. I was not very nice, and it all kind of came down to Christopher Johnson, who's the acting owner of the team, while Woody Johnson serves as the ambassador to Ireland. Uh, fired his head coach kept his GM, hired a new head coach, four months later, fired the old GM, hired a new GM, and now the new GM doesn't want one of the old GM's players. And the coach looks terrible. And the reason we brought this coach in was to develop Sam Darnold, and the offense is worse than the NFL in a significant number of categories. And Sam's regressing. If the Jets don't fire Adam Gase at the end of the year, at the absolute latest, I am worried that the Jets are going to ruin Sam Darnold. Right, right. It's 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 some. Hopefully, Joe Douglas. Well, I don't. Hopefully, not necessarily. Hopefully, for the Jets' perspective, Joe Douglas can can get this roster right, but also the coaching staff has to get right too. And there's multiple layers to this. Um, there's a good quarterback within Sam Darnold. Don't don't ruin him because I think we saw some pretty special stuff at times last year, and um, I thought. He's regressed, and I don't think it's his fault. I mean, Baker Baker, and Sam Darnold are not the players they were at times last year. Yes. I think this is as good of an example as we've seen in recent memory of, like, how much coaching matters. And Lamar and Josh Allen are playing much better than they did last year, in my opinion. Coaching matters. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Anything else from college football? We kind of glazed over it, but honestly, college uh, football slates suck this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like nine of the top 25 teams were, were idle. Uh, the only thing I'll say, just these, there's some tight ends that are really playing well. Hunter Bryant, the performance he had for Washington uh, against Utah. Was it, they played Utah, right? Yeah. No. Yes. Yep. Okay. I, Oregon played USC, Washington. I know Washington didn't win the game. Yes. Five catches, 105 or six catches, 105 yards, two touchdowns. <sighs> I think he's a really dynamic player. Uh, you can tell that he's a mismatch. They put him out in space in the slot, and there's just problems for the secondary there. And then also Bryson Hopkins, man. Uh, he had a big game against uh, Nebraska as part of that win. And the game-winning drive, he had a catch of 10 yards and 26 yards. Eight catches, 97 yards for the game. He's just really solid in terms of pass catching, uh, seam-busting type 10, and kind of guy I really like. And I think that you, you saw a couple guys there at, at the tight end position this week really prove I think those are probably the best two receiving tight ends in this class yeah those those two tight ends are one and two on my november updated board and both inside the top 50 so naturally you know i did the uh the exercise where i took my personal board and ran a simulation of the first round and those those two guys ended up going in the first round 
Don't know if it'll uh, which, happen, but those it, are the which best won't pair. happen. Yeah, yeah, I, I highly doubt it. But I think you you think about some of the guys who have gone early second in recent years, and it makes a lot of sense for that to be the the strike zone for a Hunter Bryant, right? Yeah. Like Gerald Everett went to the Rams as an early two, um, kind of the same mold of player where he's a little undersized. He's only like six two or six three. He's two forty tops, but he's quick and he's. He's something with the ball in his hand. So um, I think that's a good call by you as far as, you know, we're, we're waiting for the tight end class to get us excited. Yeah. And uh, I don't think it's going to blow us away at any point. Right. But uh, those two guys, I think, are clearly cut the top two guys. Yeah. Yep. 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 And then Chubba Hubbard, man. This dude's, <laughs> this guy has over 1,600 rushing yards, 18 mm. touchdowns in nine games this year, man. He's had a multiple touchdowns in, in, in six of nine games. And, um, I mean, he's had – I mean, he's, he's just been unbelievable. 11.2 yards a carry on Saturday against TCU. And TCU is like the best run defense in the Big 12. So Not anymore. They just played Chuba Harvard. No. He's <laughs> – I mean, I th- maybe we can talk different awards and stuff like that on Wednesday if you want. But I, I think – No, we cannot. We have Steve Clarkson on the show on Wednesday. We will not be <laughs> – doing awards steve clark's on wednesday that's a good tease but my top three heisman right now i think are chase young chubba hubbard and joe burrow what yeah hubbard's in the top three that's what i said i said my top three chase I'm, young I'm, chubba I'm hubbard surprised he is there's I'm no question you have chubba hubbard is a top three heisman candidate. he's 1600 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns in nine games i understand that i'm not deaf i heard you Who's been a, who's been a more productive running back in college football than him? There has not been a more productive running back. But is that your your criteria for the Heisman? Is I'm gonna grab the most productive quarterback, pass rusher, and running back? I think they've been the three best players in college football. Well, the Heisman is outstanding, not best. Well, okay, outstanding. <laughs> is Hubbard not in your top he, three? He probably would not be in my top three, no, because I I'm gonna regard the resume a little bit more like how the Heisman voters actually will, instead of just oh. objectively saying these are the three best. My predictive top three would be different. My Joe Marino's top oh, three. Well, now you're talking a different. Listen, let's find a time. Maybe, maybe next week we'll do, we'll do player awards next week. How's that? Maybe, but we got takes on takes tomorrow. Ooh. We have Steve Clarkson coming on talking about quarterbacks. Hey Kyle, who's uh, Steve Clarkson for the listeners who don't know who he is. Uh, Steve Clarkson is quarterbacks coach who has spent some time in the off seasons working with uh, a lot of prominent NFL draft prospects. We're going to have him on to talk about the dynamics of uh, Joe Burrow versus Tua Tunga Viola uh, this Saturday, big heavy hitting matchup, of course, number one versus number two uh, college football playoff poll. The first one releases on Tuesday, Joe. See, so we're, we're going to, we're going to find out if we got a one versus two in the college football playoff rankings as well. I guarantee you they'll both be in the top four. Right. But uh, we're trying to get that one versus two to really make this the uh, the, the Super Bowl of college football. So, uh, And then Thursday we'll do our picks against the spread. Friday we'll uh, do our typical preview. And then Saturday we'll be broadcasting live from World of Beer in Tuscaloosa. And we have a two-hour show lined up. Uh, in which we'll stream online so you guys can listen to the dudes and Paige Demacos talk about uh, LSU Alabama and a lot of the dynamics and implications of this game for the NFL draft and the college football landscape. So we we got a great week ahead of us. Come for sure. Come. If you're in Tuscaloosa come. for the game, come see us yeah. at the World of Beer. Got no t shirts, giveaways. It's going to be a good time, man. 
All right. I'm signing off. You got hot takes for tomorrow. Send them to Joe Marino with the hashtag takes on takes at the Joe Marino or at grinding and tape. If you want to send them to me, but Joe makes the list. So probably just send them to Joe. Thanks as always for listening to draft dudes. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter than air feel and barely there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the super light tree runner on your next adventure. It's cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.